guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Doing great as well. (laughs) That's all I'd like to say. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, so there's just not really too much exciting going on. I feel like there was nothing. I feel like this last week went by really quickly, and it seems like we're recording right after we just recorded, but... I feel like I'm just a little out of sorts this week. But yeah, nothing really new or exciting happening here. Just more of the same hot Florida weather and everyone in my house being home 24-7. And yes, it's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. All right. So we will get right into it. The story this week is a little different than our typical murder story, but it is a story that I can't wait to share because it really is just very fascinating and there's so many factors at play And everything that happens in this story is just as wild and hard to believe as the last thing. So the concept of motivational speaking seminars invokes different emotional responses from different people. I don't personally have a ton of experience in the world of motivational speaking, and it's not really a subject that I've been very well versed on, but I do know that there are famous motivational speakers such as Eric Thomas and Tony Robbins that are considered some of the best motivational speakers in the world. These men and others have built an empire around helping other people achieve their highest potential in life, which is the ultimate goal of motivational speaking, to invoke some type of mental or emotional change in a person, which helps them to make more positive choices to change their lives for the better. So this all sounds fantastic. What could possibly go wrong with someone dedicating their life to showing others how to better their lives? Well, as long as the person who is doing the speaking has the best of intentions and isn't motivated by self-serving factors, everything should be fine. Unfortunately, there have been many cases that have shown us that there are motivational speakers who are outright frauds and only speak to take people's money and in some cases just to have people really devoted to them, which of course will ensure that they will keep giving their money. Over the years, there have been numerous so-called motivational speakers that have later been exposed as scam artists, and this week's episode is about another one in their ranks. In this instance, three people actually lost their lives in 2009 after following the teachings and advice of a widely popular and well-known motivational speaker and book author that later became known as more of a cult leader. The deaths occurred near Sedona, Arizona, and before we get into the episode, we're going to tell you a little about the Sedona area in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Sedona is located in central Arizona, and as of the 2010 census, has a population of around 10,000 residents. But yearly, like 3 million people actually come visit Sedona, which I thought was kind of interesting. The Navajo Nation is the largest Native American reservation in the U.S., and it's actually located in Arizona. It has an area of over 17,000 acres. Sedona is an area that's known for its beautiful sites, and while it only has around 10,000 residents, it's a huge tourist destination when it's not 2020 and has around 3 million visitors per year. That's a lot of people eating Big Macs at the world's only McDonald's that has green arches. When Sedona got their first McDonald's, they thought that the giant yellow screaming arches would be an eyesore in the midst of all this natural beauty, so they decided to go with turquoise arches, and it's been almost 30 years, and apparently those are still up to this day. I don't know if they have more than one McDonald's. 10,000 people, I feel like they probably have more than one McDonald's. That would be so weird. I feel like I would, I just wouldn't even go there because I would be like, that is not right. That cannot be a real McDonald's. (laughs) I know, I know. Well, as of the time I read the article, they were was still in place. The article could have been written in 1975. I really don't know. (laughs) So I should have Googled the image. But according to that, I don't think it was on the onion. We're going to go with it. Back in 1901, a man by the name of Carl Schnebly moved to the area. And if there's 10,000 people there now, think of how few people were there then. And it was really desolate at the time. So residents in the area were complaining because it would take a really long time to get the mail. So Carl decided to take it upon himself to apply for a postal permit to help speed up this process. He submitted both the names Oak Creek Crossing and Schnebley Station, but both were too long to be put on cancellation stamps, so they weren't allowed. So he was exasperated and out of ideas, so he tried his wife's name, Sedona, and thus Sedona, Arizona was born. Which is, yeah, but it's sort of rude because it's his third choice after Oak Creek Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's better than him submitting the name Carl, I guess. You know, Carl, Arizona. Imagine a motto yeah. <laughs> for Carl, Arizona. I have a few. Carl, Arizona. 
If it's good enough for Sedona, it's good enough for you. Carl, Arizona, when you're here, you're family because it's literally just me and Sedona. <laughs> and lastly, Carl, Arizona, Sedona, please come back. We have a post office now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks. All motivational speakers have their own journey and story to tell when it comes to why you should listen to them regarding how to change the course of your life. These are generally people who have a gripping and overwhelming story about overcoming adversity and finding their way to a happy and successful life. When followers hear their story and witness how they have turned their life around, they feel encouraged to take their advice and implement it into their own lives, hoping for the same results. Just as every motivational speaker has his or her own story, they also have different methods and teachings for their followers to learn how to achieve their dreams. One of the more widely publicized methods that several motivational speakers and self-help gurus use is the idea of using the law of attraction to your benefit. According to this idea, every person has, quote, the ability to attract into our lives whatever we are focusing on. Since this is considered a law of the universe, some self-help experts believe that it doesn't matter your age, race, or religious beliefs. The law of attraction is for everyone, they say. One such advocate for this method is a man named James Arthur Ray. James made his foray into the world of motivational speaking after reading the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I feel like I have heard of this book. I don't know where. It must be pretty popular, though, if, yeah. I've even, if I even think that I've heard of it. But I swear I remember hearing about this exact book maybe when I was in high school or something and some someone probably tried to get me to read it and it's, be a successful person. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, absolutely not. No, <laughs> you hear it a lot in pop culture. It comes up in movies. People read it. It's, it is really known as like one of the bedrocks of, of motivational speaking and just like a positive self-affirmation. When I was younger, my dad had me listen to a tape, I think, about this. I used to have to listen to a lot of tapes because I was a very negative thinker. Not a lot has changed. <laughs> and so I would listen to cassette tapes. And this, I believe this was one of them. It was something, something very, very similar. It was a really weird childhood. But yes, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you have heard of it. Yeah. So the book was actually written in 1989, and it outlines different habits that you can implement in your life to see your true potential. James used this book in training practices while working for AT&T as a trainer at the AT&T School of Business in Atlanta. James had been working for the company for about 15 years by the time he achieved his trainer position at the school. During his time doing this work, James felt like he was really on top of the world. He was also a very effective manager, which is what he did for AT&T for years. James said that he always felt like he was capable of motivating people to do the things that they never thought were possible. It was this realization that led him to consider a career change. Now he no longer wanted to be AT&T's best manager. He wanted to go into business for himself, where he could put his heart and soul into this idea of helping to motivate others. But who really was James Arthur Ray? James was born on November 22, 1957, in Honolulu, Hawaii, to parents Joyce and Gordon. He described himself as being, quote, the kid with the big Coke bottle glasses and buck teeth who everyone made fun of. His father was in the military for a while, and afterwards he became a Protestant minister in a church in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. James's father was a very domineering man, and according to James, he wasn't allowed to just be himself. His father wanted him to follow into his footsteps and to also become a minister. His mother was also very strict. She was a homemaker and a very religious woman who thought that really everything was a sin. It reminded me of the old Dana Carvey's church lady. That's like kind of what I got from this whole thing. So for example, she wouldn't let her two sons play pinball because in her eyes, it was gambling. James had a brother who said that James was always really the go-getter type. At a young age, he would even wake up at 4 a.m. to go on his daily paper route. After high school, James went to community college for two years and got an associate's degree. One source actually said that he dropped out of college and then went, that's whenever he started working for AT&T, but that couldn't be backed up with another source. After college, though, James discovered the joys of working on his fitness, and he said that he became a workout-aholic. He made himself look great on the outside, but on the inside, he still struggled with those thoughts and fears of rejection and ridicule that stemmed from his childhood. When James was in his mid-20s, he started dating a woman. Their relationship progressed, and they became physically intimate, which James had been taught was a sin because they weren't married. James feared that he wouldn't go to heaven if he didn't marry this woman, so they got married. 
but this marriage only lasted for two years. James continued his life trying to appear like he was a tough guy. He even bought himself a motorcycle to give himself street cred, but immediately after getting it, he wrecked his bike and severely injured himself. After this injury, he was told that he would never be able to lift weights again. At this point in James's life, he realized that it was time to start focusing on what was going on inside instead of just trying to make himself look great on the outside. So he started focusing more on his mind and what made himself tick. This was the period in his life when he worked his way up the ladder with AT&T and discovered the seven habits of highly successful people. The company James created when he finally left AT&T was called Quantum Consulting Group. While he did make this a legitimate business, he was the only consultant and trainer. He focused on teaching time management, team building, and he also taught the material from the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I feel like is a little questionable. Can you just do that? Can you just teach? Can you just, I guess you can. You can just use a book to teach people. Yeah. It just seems. As I long mean, as just he's not se- saying it's his, right? Like, well, yeah, I, that would be I guess. It. But it is kind of like, well, I'll just read the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thinking that California might be a great place to expand his horizons, James moved to San Diego and changed the name of his business to Ray Transformation Technologies, but he still struggled to, quote, make it big. Business for him was really just a hit or miss. The older James got, the more anxious he became over not having made a successful career out of helping others. He really thought that he would be further along on his journey by that point. So James sought the wisdom of famous motivational speaker Tony Robbins. James was blown away by how fun the seminar was, and he said that it was, quote, like a rock concert. And he knew then and there that this is what he really wanted to do. He wanted to be doing what Tony Robbins was doing, which was giving seminars and hyping up an audience. He once again changed the name of his business to James Ray and Associates and started marketing himself and getting invited to give keynote speeches at company conventions such as Herbalife and Amway. James worked hard to see his way to success, and in 1999, he published his first book called The Science of Success, How to Attract Prosperity and Create Life Balance Through Proven Principles. I'm not trying to knock on authors who give their books titles like this, but I don't know why to me. It's just like, I feel like a book title is not supposed to tell you everything. Right. Do you ever feel like that with Leave like self-help a books? <laughs> right. How they like they, they'll have like a two-word title, but then like they have all this other information after it. And I'm like, wait, you could have stopped with Yeah. <laughs> like you could have just stopped yeah. with those two words. And that would have been that would have been just a fine name for it. <laughs> so a summary for this book says that it is, quote, a proven step-by-step method for creating true prosperity and harmony in life based upon timeless laws and principles. The book went over pretty well, and it has a four or five star rating on all the websites that I found it on. And by 2005, James had released his second book called Practical Spirituality, How to Use Spiritual Power to Create Tangible Results. That same year, he attended a meeting of the Transformational Leadership Council, which is for leaders in the fields of personal and professional development. At this meeting, a now well-known documentary called The Secret was being filmed, so, Melissa, again, this is another thing. The Secret. Everybody has heard of The Secret. I feel like that was also when I was a teenager that I Yeah. I guess I don't I guess I heard of the film first or maybe I saw or maybe I heard of the book cuz a book did come out later about The Secret. But if you've never seen it, I think it's worth watching just because um just worth watching and making your own judgment call. Opinions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I remember it, but I think I remember it from Oprah. That's like where I feel like I learned about it. And then in pop culture, that's another thing. You hear about it all the time. I even like will say something like I'm going to the secret this into existence as a joke, but it's like a thing I say. (laughs) And it's totally based on this. If you don't know anything about The Secret, it turned into a book after the film was released. It's basically all about how this law of attraction works for bettering your own life. And after reading a quick synopsis on 4minutebooks.com, here is a summary. In a nutshell, The Secret teaches three lessons. Number one, the law of attraction is one of the most prevalent principles in the world. Number two, in order to use the law of attraction, you must think about what you want, not what you want to avoid. And number three, the three steps of the law of attractions are asking, believing, and receiving. The film and book were designed to teach others how to use this concept and to make all their dreams come true. 
In simpler terms, the law of attraction allegedly uses the power of the mind to translate whatever your thoughts are into reality. So if you only focus on the negative, doom and gloom stuff, that's what your life's going to be like. If you focus on the positive things, such as achieving your goals, you'll eventually see that materialize in your life. As you can imagine, there are plenty of skeptics when it comes to this idea that all you have to do is think your way into the life of your dreams. I mean, it's a great concept. Like that makes sense, right? That you want to you wanna put positivity out there and in turn, positive things happen. But what a bummer if you put positive thoughts out there and negative stuff keeps happening to you. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's not a perfect. So are you not thinking it? Are you not being positive enough? Are you not putting enough good out in the world? And then you can right. have people who are just pieces of crap and have everything fall in their lap. Are What's going on? <laughs> like, right, that's where I'm right. like, I don't really, I don't yeah. totally buy it. Yeah. No, I don't have an issue with telling people, you know, to try not to focus on negative thoughts or things that are upsetting to them and to kind of put their energy into more positive headspace. Right. And I think it's great if you tell people to focus on their goals in that way and, you know, to... Don't even think about the things that you don't want. Just think about your goals and moving forward. But I feel like that is only helpful if you are going to use it to like self-motivate. Like obviously just thinking about great things isn't going to make them happen to you. But I feel like if you do have that kind of in the forefront of your mind, you're always thinking about your goals, then you are going to be more motivated to do the things you have to do to make them happen. So I feel like it's not like it's terrible advice, but then I feel like it is a little dangerous to just tell people all they have to do is think happy thoughts and everything's going to go their way because obviously we all know that's not quite how life works. If it was, everybody would be happy all the time. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Having the goals in the forefront. I, I absolutely agree with that. There are plenty of skeptics when it comes to this idea that really all you have to do is think your way into the life of your dreams. An essay published by the New York Times by Christopher Shabris, written in September of 2010, called the idea pseudoscience and attempted to explain why big names like Oprah stood behind it and why millions of people bought into it. The writer described it best, so we'll quote him. Quote, the message of the secret might best be understood as an advanced meme, a sort of intellectual virus whose structure has evolved throughout history to optimally exploit a suite of weakness in the design of the human mind, end quote. It's very clear in this essay that the author does not look favorably on books that teach the power of the law of attraction. So James Arthur Ray participated in this film, and he gave an interview. Afterwards, he was asked to appear on huge television shows like Oprah, Larry King Live, The Today Show, Fox Business News, and many more. These TV appearances were exactly what James needed and really had hoped for to skyrocket his career. However, James also became more greedy. He saw his appearance on national television as his opportunity to really make it big, and he started focusing more on networking and more on making money. And we'll get right back into what happens next in the story after one quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. On average, my kids ask me around 2 billion questions per day, and about half of those questions are, what's for dinner? Well, when we have HelloFresh, the answer is easy, because HelloFresh cuts out the stress of meal planning and all the grocery store trips. HelloFresh knows you want to get dinner on the table quickly in just about 30 minutes, or sometimes even 20 minutes with their quick recipe options. And I actually enjoy cooking HelloFresh, and that leaves me on my game to answer the other billion questions I'm asked per day. And that's why it's no surprise that HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh not only offers delicious meal choices, but they come with pre-portioned ingredients, which means there's less for you to think about because there's less prep plus less food waste. It's so easy to feed our family of four with the larger boxes, which gives us more servings and more savings. A lot of times we even end up with a little extra food that we can eat for lunch the next day. This week, my family had the margarita chicken over garlic herb spaghetti, and my husband and I think it might be our favorite meal yet. HelloFresh gives you so much flavor with their fresh ingredients, making this meal and every meal perfect from beginning to end. Go to hellofresh.com slash 80momsandmurder and use code 80momsandmurder to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 80MomsAndMurder and use code 80MomsAndMurder to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. 
The days are definitely feeling a whole lot longer, and even though I'm busy, I still want to have a little fun, which is why I love Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that's a lot of fun while also giving you a way to exercise your brain by completing different levels and uncovering new levels of a story. What makes it a lot of fun for me is that while it's an individual game, it's one that I can compete with family and friends, which keeps it exciting. I love that when I'm a little low on energy, I'll have a friend send over some, or I can send some to friends as well, keeping the game going even longer. The longer I play Best Fiends, the more fiends I collect, which helps me make it further and further through the game. The more levels I move through, the more I can update my fiends and make them work for me even more. And Best Fiends is always updating the game with new levels and features to help keep it fun and fresh each and every day. I don't mean to brag, but I just hit level 900 on Best Fiends. And well, sure, that was technically a brag, but that's only because if you aren't playing Best Fiends, you are missing out big time. And it's not just me. Best Fiends already has 100 million downloads. So if you haven't already downloaded it, what are you waiting for? Best Fiends is the ultimate puzzle game that you can play anytime, anywhere, because you don't need internet connection or Wi-Fi. I love playing a quick round while I'm folding laundry or just trying to hide in my closet away from my children for a minute. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now back to the episode. So as James's popularity began to grow, he started going on trips internationally to give these self-help seminars. A basic seminar was either free or a very low cost, but then once he had the audience there, he would upsell them a, quote, better package that included special, more intimate, multi-day sessions. At those sessions, he would once again upsell the audience, but this time it would be for a multi-day journey with James himself. The free seminars were just a small taste of James's teachings, but he had really a labyrinth of courses and seminars lined up for his followers. He called it the journey of power. He illustrated his teachings as a pyramid, and from bottom to top, the courses were called Harmonic Wealth and then Creating Absolute Wealth and then practical mysticism, and then modern magic, and at the very top was spiritual warrior. Followers would climb the pyramid of seminars and courses and get more so-called rewards, but each new level, of course, cost more money. I find it funny that he used a pyramid as his design <laughs> since like pyramids, right. ski- like we all think <laughs> of it like that. I'm like, buddy, that's of all designs, you that's the one you picked. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In 2008, James released another book called Harmonic Wealth, The Secret of Attracting the Life You Want. And in 2009, he came out with The Seven Laws of True Wealth, Create the Life You Desire and Deserve. At some point, I feel like all these books have to have the same information in them. No, this one has seven laws. They all have similar titles. (laughs) (laughs) The numbers change. I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) Also in 2008, James was featured in Fortune magazine as, quote, the next big thing in the highly competitive world of motivational gurus. His persona was described by The Verge as charismatic, tanned, handsome, articulate, and alpha male, which is just such an interesting way to describe somebody in an article. But he was the perfect type, really, for becoming a celebrity self-help guru. But it worked for him. At one point, his company made about $10 million a year. James had really a lot going on for him from the numerous book sales, the seminars, and the multi-day retreats. All of these things in his empire were making him a lot of money. People were really eating up what he had to say and his following grew. However, according to The Verge, there are claims that date back as far as the year 2000 that James was engaging in unsafe practices. Many people who attended his seminars said that they felt like they were more like strength competitions than self-help conventions. This was because James included really bizarre exercises in his seminars, like telling people to use their fists to break plywood or to bend a piece of rebar using their necks. And that second thing sounds just as dangerous as it looks. There was a documentary that we'll have linked in the show notes, but we watched this story and they show him doing these different exercises 
where James puts the participants to work together to bend a piece of rebar stuck between their necks. And it looks absolutely like they're going to kill themselves when they're doing this. But even watching them like hit their fist into the wood and if you can believe it and you can do it. And I do think there is something to that, that if you like don't hesitate, you can do it. But it just seemed like people were high on life at the point when they would hit that. (laughs) It was really incredible like how much energy and stuff they had from this but it was it was kind of unreal to watch like you're like I wonder what that person looks like when they walked into this seminar because I don't think they walked in looking like you know like this jazz up about life so obviously these things and several other things caused people to get hurt and just in 2008 James had 12 of his followers break bones in their hands while trying to break these blocks oh my gosh So another facet of James's program was having his followers enter a sweat lodge for extended periods of time. What's interesting about this is that true sweat lodges are really in all cases intended to be a religious ceremony that's meant for prayer and healing. It was used by some of the indigenous people of the Americas for this purpose and can be very dangerous if it is not performed correctly. The exact tradition for sweat lodges varies, but in all cases, these ceremonies require tribal elders to monitor the sweat lodge leaders for years before they're allowed to carry out these ceremonies on their own. Accidents can happen even with an experienced leader. High temperatures can cause a number of dangerous physical consequences, such as heat stroke, suffocation, or smoke inhalation. So it is really essential to have a trained leader overseeing this process. Traditionally, a ceremony might consist of two to three rounds in the sweat lodge, with each round lasting 15 to 40 minutes. The lodge is a densely humid room that is kept between 150 to 180 degrees Fahrenheit, and then this is followed by a period of going outside for cooling down. James Arthur Ray was not a religious motivational speaker, and he didn't base his teaching around religious beliefs either. So it's really quite strange that he would use the concept of a sweat lodge as part of his enlightening experience. In 2005, James held one such sweat lodge at Angel Valley. There was an incident that time where a participant named Daniel became irrational and violent after spending nearly four hours in the sweat lodge. These symptoms that he was displaying could have been attributed to heat stroke, but yet James refused to call 911 to get help for the man. Since he wouldn't do it, the owner of Angel Valley ended up calling, which made James angry, and he actually yelled at her for calling for an ambulance for this guy. The participant was taken to a hospital where he had an IV giving him fluids for hours, but then things only got worse for this man after that. He claims that he had some kind of -of out-of-body experience and that he never really recovered from this state of mind. He ended up losing his job with a six-figure income and became homeless. He says that he knew what he was getting into because James did warn that the sweat lodge could be dangerous. And James allegedly told Daniel that he had let his ego get in the way and that he needed to really, quote, sit down and learn from this. Unfortunately... He did not, and he continued to hold sweat lodges. In 2009, James held another bizarre seminar. It lasted for two days, and the participants were instructed to pretend to be homeless in the heart of San Diego. Keep in mind that all of these exercises and seminars were actually sold to people for thousands of dollars with the idea that the participants would come away from them feeling empowered and enlightened due to the struggle they faced while battling their inner demons or something of the like. So James dropped off the participants at three different locations within the city. One woman, a 46-year-old named Colleen Conaway, was dropped off at the Horton Plaza Mall. But when the bus came around to pick her and the other participants up at the end of the day, Colleen was nowhere to be found. She wasn't even reported missing until the following day. Come to find out, Colleen had apparently jumped from the fourth story of the mall and died. She was originally taken to the morgue and labeled as a Jane Doe because no one had reported her missing for several hours. To this day, Colleen's family said they have no idea why she would have taken her own life in that way. Later in 2009, James held a harmonic wealth seminar and he offered a special deal for the attendees. He said that if they paid him a certain amount of money, that they could go straight from harmonic wealth to spiritual warrior status on his pyramid. This meant that the participants would skip right by other steps on the ladder and be thrust into this very intense experience that would help them have what James referred to as, quote, a breakthrough. 
James warned that spiritual warrior wasn't fit for everyone and that only those who wanted it bad enough would be able to handle it. One woman said that she had really tried it all in the past and nothing had worked, so she wanted to give spiritual warrior a try. James insisted that if the participants tried hard enough, they would have a breakthrough. So this spiritual warrior retreat was five days long at Angel Valley Spiritual Retreat, which is a ranch actually near Sedona, Arizona. James charged $10,000 plus room and board to attend this event, and he promised the attendees that this would be really a catalyst for personal transformation and that every person would be pulled out of their typical patterns and forced to challenge themselves like never before. He didn't tell anyone what they were going to be doing prior to them arriving at the ranch, but he did say that this was an opportunity to help people, quote, stretch themselves, to have an opportunity to grow and to, quote, push past their thresholds. James even warned that participants won't even want to sleep because that would be a waste of time when they only have five days to fit all of these activities in. When the participants first arrived at Angel Valley, they attended a welcoming ceremony in which James hyped up the crowd of 56 people and encouraged them to let go of something and play full on, which according to him just meant giving 100%, not quitting, and pushing through whatever discomfort or issues might arise during this retreat. The first act of surrender to this process, if you will, according to James, was for people to shave their heads. And this was really to prove to yourself and to others that you were serious and ready to commit. Over 80% of the followers there went through with shaving their heads while the rest of the group cheered them on. After this initial welcoming ceremony, James and his staff, who were volunteers called the Dream Team, led the participants through a series of events and challenges, much of which was really dangerous and some of it was inhumane in my opinion. That is just my personal opinion but others might agree with me after they hear about some of these things. One of the things they did was holotropic breathing, which is, quote, an accelerated breathing technique intended to help people reach altered states of consciousness without drugs, end quote. A person must be certified in this practice, and it takes two years of formal training to even become certified. Of course, James was not certified for this, but he instructed his followers on how to participate anyways. The participants also did what's called recapitulation during the entire retreat. This involved two things, staying up all night long and writing in journals and or having very deep and personal conversations. These journal entries and discussions centered around sex, every sexual experience the participant ever had, every person they'd ever slept with, and how it all made them feel. They also got into dark topics of loss and death. Another activity they did was what was called the samurai game. This is another thing James was supposed to be certified in, but was not. James had his participants do this game for seven hours. He dressed in a white robe and a gold crown acting as God, and his dream team wore black angel costumes and played the angels of death. James would walk around and declare people dead and force them to lie down and not move or speak for hours. At the end of the game, everyone was declared dead. After playing the samurai game for hours on end, the attendees of the retreat were then sent on a 36-hour quote-unquote vision quest where they would go into the desert alone to meditate and have visions. They were completely isolated from others and not allowed to talk. They had to use rocks and sticks to create a six-foot circle around themselves, and they weren't allowed to leave the circle for any reason until someone came to get them. If they needed to use the bathroom... They had to do it in their circle, and they weren't allowed to eat or drink while in the circle for 36 hours. So once this portion was complete, James held another seminar for the participants to come share their experiences over the last several days. After hearing the stories of several participants, James then really demeaned the group and told them he was appalled at their experiences and that they were, quote, so worried about dying that they had forgotten how to live, end quote. At the end of this seminar, James announced that the final or pinnacle event was a sweat lodge experience. He told participants that this was his final test and that it was a test of symbolic death. The sweat lodge was created out of a 23-foot in diameter wood-framed dome that was covered in tarps and blankets and rubber to help seal in the heat. The lodge had one entrance, the ceiling was very low, and it was covered by a flap of sleeping bags. In the middle of the lodge, there was a three feet deep pit for the coals. 
As we mentioned before, a typical sweat lodge is kept between 150 to 180 degrees, but James's lodge reached temperatures of 200 plus degrees. Wow. Typically, there would only be about five to 10 people in a sweat lodge at one time, but James had actually had his built to fit 75 people inside. A usual sweat lodge ceremony, as we said before, consists of two to three rounds in the lodge, but James's program consisted of eight rounds where the participants would be in the lodge for 15 minutes each. A traditional sweat lodge experience, once again, would use 30 stones or so to heat the lodge for each round. But when it came to James's lodge, he insisted on 100 stones per round to be heated. Water was then poured from a bucket onto these hot stones to produce more heat and steam, even though typically they would use just a ladle to slowly pour water on the stones if this was a legitimate, you know, traditional ceremony. The night before the sweat lodge experience, participants had just done this vision quest thing, so they hadn't even been properly eating and hydrating for the previous 36 hours before getting into this sweat lodge. Participants also burned their journals that they had been keeping, and they were saged to clean their energies. James informed the participants that he was the master of the sweat lodge, and everybody must follow his instructions. They were only allowed to go into the sweat lodge after him, and they were required to only move clockwise throughout the lodge once they were inside. He told them ahead of time, in his own words, that the lodge was, quote, hotter than hell, and that it would make them feel like their skin was falling off, but that even though it was going to be terrible, they would not die. And he promised that they would actually emerge a completely different person if they would just surrender to this experience. They entered the tent in a single file line and made two circles around the pit of hot stones. Once everyone was inside the lodge, James poured a bucket of water onto the stones, which caused a wave of hot air and steam to fill the lodge. Even though the rounds were only supposed to be about 15 minutes each, once they were inside, it was up to James how long they would be staying in for. The first round was 20 to 25 minutes. After each round, James would allow the participants to take a short three to five minute breather outside the tent. James said that no one was allowed to leave the lodge during the sessions. They had to wait for each round to be over before they could exit the lodge, and there was no drinking water allowed inside the lodge either. So I know you explained what the lodge looked like, but I was like appalled when I saw this. It is, I mean, just think of like putting a blanket over your head when you're hot, right? So you're inside your house, it's summer, and if your kid wants to play like in a tent in their room, right? You're just creating a tent. It's already hot in there, right? And this is the most intense thing I've ever seen. And there's literally blankets at the front of it. Did you notice that? Like near the front of it, just heavy comforter, just the most miserable thing. And the thing I didn't realize is they were closing. Like whenever I first heard about these, I always thought, oh, well, there's it's kind of open. Not that that would help, but there's a little bit of air circulation. It's closed. They're closing it. Yeah. They're just in there in silence, in the dark. People are screaming apparently because they're so freaked out like when it's – you're now claustrophobic. And like you were saying, the number of people in there, I was shocked when they said they were – shoulder to shoulder to people. They were just so, you didn't even have room in there. I cannot no. imagine anything more miserable. And to know, even if, if I want to get out of here right now, I still have to wait until he finishes this round to even be able to leave. It really is crazy. And then if you also think that these people paid $10,000 to be yes. at this experience, like I was kind of surprised that he didn't like swing the money to at least make the sweat lodge appear like it wasn't just like a couple sticks with a piece of like plastic over the top of it. Yeah. But it didn't even look like anything I would want to get into. I mean, you would think that he would use some of that money to make it at least look more inviting or more legitimate. But like the whole thing was really weird looking. It was just very, it didn't look very inviting. That is for yeah. sure. But you know, they trust him. They have paid all this money. They want to experience the whole thing. And then also there is something to be said, I think for peer pressure in our way. These people have been doing it. We're all here for this. You know, I can see how you would get yourself hyped to do something like that. So back to the story. As the ceremony progresses, it becomes impossible for the participants to be able to cool themselves properly. And the people that are furthest from the entrance start having really a lot of difficulty breathing. They're not getting any air coming in even remotely near them. So James told people that no matter what happened, they were to, quote, push through it and just try not to think about it. 
He said that people may experience horrible symptoms like vomiting and fainting, but that was all normal. And basically, those are all the symptoms of hyperthermia. And he's making it sound like that's normal. Don't worry. This is what's to be expected. But really, this is a dangerous time at that point. Right. But people understandably are showing, you know, signs of heat stroke. There are people lying down and moaning and people throwing up and fainting inside the tent and upon exiting the tent for breaks. They were told even not to eat anything because they could be vomiting in this tent. Most people began acting disoriented and began collapsing. James was fully aware of the distress that these people were in, and he did nothing at all to stop it. In fact, he insisted that those who had passed out inside the lodge needed to stay put until the round was over, and then they could be dragged outside the tent. When other participants attempted to help those who needed it, James would tell them to leave the person alone and that they would be fine, even if the person was unconscious and clearly struggling. After several rounds of this, numerous participants started trying to really bail out. They were really in distress, as I said, and they wanted to leave the lodge. But as the ceremony continued, James became more insistent that everybody remain inside, and he actually told people that they could not leave. During the third and fourth rounds, people inside the lodge started to become confused and irritated. In one instance, a man had to be wrestled out after he started, quote, raving and thrashing. By the fifth round, several people were screaming in agony. They were throwing up, crying, and babbling, while others screamed things like, I can't take it, and tried to escape. Only James would not let them out. In the final round, James told everyone left in the tent to lay down because it was going to be hot. Keep in mind at this point, there are still people inside the tent that have already passed out several rounds ago, and James has insisted that they leave them inside the tent for further rounds. Just terrible. So when the final round was finished, the remaining participants exited the tent. It wasn't until a full 15 minutes later that the doorkeeper named Debbie noticed that there were still three people inside the tent. Debbie needed help to pull these people to safety, but she couldn't find anyone to help her. So she actually went to find James himself to ask if she could just lift the back of the lodge to pull these people out. James actually said, quote, no, unless it's absolutely necessary, which obviously it is if these people are still inside this tent 15 minutes after the ceremony is over. So Debbie and her daughter lifted the side of the tent and they pulled these unconscious victims out into the open air. And we're going to get right back into what happened next after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. When we moved into our old house eight years ago, I knew I wanted to get a security system, but if you've ever priced a system, it can get stupid expensive. So my husband and I did our research and decided after checking out all of our options that we were going to give Simply Safe a try. And almost eight years later and three moves, it's been one of the best things I've bought for peace of mind in my home. Simply Safe is the all-in-one security system that has everything that you need to protect your home without all the drawbacks that can come from those traditional home security guys. And Simply Safe is easy to set up on your own. Just peel and stick the sensors wherever you want and need them without ever needing a technician to come to your house. There's a variety of sensors and cameras so you can set up in any and every room. SimpliSafe also has professional monitoring so you can feel good day or night with monitoring that's ready to send the police, fire, or medical professionals quickly to your home in case of emergency. And with SimpliSafe, there is no contract, none of those pushy sales guys trying to upsell you, and there's no hidden fees and no fine print. And you can get all of this starting at $15 a month. But we aren't the only ones that love Simply Safe. US News and World Report named Simply Safe the best overall home security of 2020. Try Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com/moms. You get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose. That's simplysafe.com/moms. I've reached the point in life where simply waking up in the morning is painful. I wake up, can't turn my neck and have absolutely no idea what I could have done except possibly sleep on it wrong. You know that feeling. And in the past, I've popped some Advil and tried my best just to deal with it throughout the day, but the pain doesn't go away. Luckily, I now have Theragun. On mornings when I wake up with a neck ache, I can use a handheld percussive therapy device to actually release the deepest muscle tension and allow me to get back to life as normal. There are a million uses for Theragun. Everything from helping relieve muscle discomfort after a long car ride to using it for two minutes on each muscle group, like your arms and legs, to help you feel relaxed and calm before bed. 
And if you're an athlete or into working out, Theragun can help when you've overworked or overextended your muscles and you need some natural relief. When we first got the Theragun, I wasn't quite sure how often I'd use it. Cut to a few months later when my husband and I literally take turns on who gets to use it first in the mornings. I carry a lot of tension in my shoulders and my neck, so it's nice to just grab the Theragun for a few minutes just to get some relief throughout the day. And if you're on the fence about getting one for yourself, just know that over 250 professional sports teams worldwide are using it, as well as physical therapists, chiropractors, and everyday people just like you and me in over 40 countries. You really have to see it to believe it. Feel better naturally. Treat your pain and get back to your life. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days or your money back by going to theragun.com slash mm. For a limited time, our listeners to this podcast get up to $150 off your device. That's theragun.com slash mm. Theragun.com slash mm. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about the time of the sweat lodge and that there were these three people that were left inside the tent and Debbie finds them and is trying to get them out of the tent. So two of these people were James Shore and Kirby Brown. When they were pulled from the tent, their lips were blue and their faces were ashen gray. Neither of them was breathing and they would both later be pronounced dead. Another participant named Liz Newman was pulled from the tent after the eighth round in critical condition and she later died. The third person that was pulled from inside the tent is someone who passed out in round five, but there are little details about them because they actually survived the ordeal, unlike James Shore, Kirby Brown, and Liz Newman. Volunteers did attempt to revive the other two victims, while one of the owners of Angel Valley left on a golf cart to go dial 911. As far as what happened to these three victims, it seems absolutely unimaginable. Liz Newman had been following James and his teachings for over seven years at that point and had spent over $100,000 towards his programs. She was experienced and had participated in the Spiritual Warrior Retreat before already. She was even on the Dream Team the previous year. Liz was 49 years old and described as being vivacious and lovely, always smiling and really positive and had a tremendous amount of talent working with teens. She also had three children of her own. During this particular retreat and sweat lodge experience, two other participants actually expressed concern over Liz's condition in the fourth or fifth round. They said Liz appeared to be acting very drunk and that they were really worried about her. But James just dismissed the concerns and said, quote, Liz has done this before. She knows what she's doing, end quote. And James never even checked on Liz. After the seventh round, Liz was on the ground breathing heavily and appeared to be unconscious, but when she was asked by other participants if she wanted to be pulled out of the tent, she allegedly said no. After the eighth and final round, Liz's condition had worsened and she was no longer coherent. Her breathing was shallow and she was drooling heavily. She was hosed down with water, but that only made her skin very cold. Liz was airlifted to a hospital and put in the ICU, but sadly she died on October 17th. Her death was listed as being due to, quote, multi-system organ failure due to hyperthermia due to prolonged sweat lodge exposure, end quote. One of the other victims, James Shore, was a 40-year-old married father of three. In his obituary, he was described as a philosopher always in search of the truth. He was a therapeutic medicine practitioner who played in a band and liked working on web development. According to witnesses, James Shore dragged another participant out of the tent in order to save that person's life, and then he went back into the tent to try and save more people, but he sadly passed out when he went back in and he never was able to get up. He was pronounced dead at the hospital, with his cause of death being listed as heat stroke. The third and final victim was Kirby Brown. She was a 38-year-old woman who lived in Cabo and had driven 24 hours to attend this retreat. Her parents described her as being curious, ambitious, and hardworking. They said that she was, quote, drunk on life and constantly reinventing herself. Friends of Kirby say that she had some second thoughts about attending this seminar, but since James didn't give refunds, she decided to go through with it. It was in the fourth round of the sweat lodge ceremony that Kirby started to show signs of hyperthermia. Witnesses saw her rocking back and forth and repeating, quote, we can do it, we can do it, in a loud voice. Another participant heard Kirby making gurgling and snorting noises, and he said five or six different times that Kirby needed help, but other participants and James just kept saying that Kirby was fine. 
At the end of the seventh round, some participants wanted to help Kirby out of the tent because she hadn't moved and her breathing had worsened. But James shut the flap to the entrance and told them, quote, no one is leaving at this time. By the time Kirby was pulled from the tent 15 minutes after the ceremony was over, it was too late. She was pronounced dead at the hospital and her cause of death was listed as heat stroke. The scene that first responders walked into when they were called to the ranch was absolutely horrifying. They had initially thought that they had just walked up to a mass suicide event. Aside from the three victims we were just talking about, there were dozens of other people walking around dazed and disoriented, and they were speaking or yelling deliriously. Some people were crying, others were vomiting, and others were getting doused with cold water. People couldn't walk because they were so weak, so they were just lying on the ground, moaning and begging for help. When the paramedics showed up, James said to his followers, quote, anybody that can walk, go back to your rooms, clear the area, end quote. And when police asked who was in charge of the sweat lodge, James threw the rock fire tender named Ted under the bus and said it was his fault. James didn't tell the police at that time that he had anything at all to do with it. In total, 18 other participants ended up being hospitalized with various things such as burns, dehydration, kidney failure, breathing problems, and heat exhaustion. Three participants, Tess Wong, Sidney Spencer, and Stephen Ray, went into a coma and were in critical condition, but they thankfully pulled through. One big question you might be asking yourself is, why would anyone want to put themselves through this willingly? And the Verge article that was used in the research pointed out that people who attended this seminar paid more than $10,000 for it, and they had a real strong sense of loyalty towards James. These participants did not want to let him down. They also really felt that James was genuine and knew what he was doing, and they had no reason not to believe him. Additionally, they were kind of scared of him. They said James spoke with authority and he was intimidating, especially when they didn't have rational senses functioning. And from that documentary, watching him, he's very convincing and he's intense. Yes. Oh my gosh, I would never even be able to ask a question in one of his seminars because he can turn it on you. Like he just has a way about him that just feels very intense is the only word I know. It would be very intimidating for sure. I totally agree with that. In the aftermath of the sweat lodge fiasco, those who weren't hospitalized were sent to a building to give statements. Everyone was really just waiting for James to show up, but he never did, which rightfully upset a number of his followers. Those at the scene pointed the finger at James as being the responsible party in all of this, so investigators went to find him so they could speak with him. When they got to his room, they found a note on his door saying that he was quote, in prayer and meditation, and that he couldn't talk, which, of course, is very convenient after this has just happened at your sweat lodge and you know the police are going to want to talk to you. So, like, I just always find it funny when people do this kind of thing. Like, okay, the police are not going to care about the sign on your door that says you can't talk to them, like, after this has just happened. Yeah, Golden State Killer, what was his thing? He had a roast in the oven? They don't care. (laughs) It's over. Exactly. So when the police finally made contact with James, they noticed that he had taken a shower and he was eating dinner. They questioned him, but he quickly flew back to California and continued to live his daily life as usual. In fact, on the day of Kirby Brown's funeral, James was giving a seminar for the World Wealth Society. He didn't even cancel the rest of his events for 2009 until weeks later at the end of October. Investigators already knew that the victims who lost their lives did so because they were in the sweat lodge. That part really wasn't up for debate. But what they had to determine was whether or not a crime had been committed. It was decided that it was a crime to hold a sweat lodge and to allow the temperature inside to become too hot. On February 3, 2010, James was formally charged with three counts of manslaughter. He quickly bonded out of jail for $525,000 while he awaited trial. While he was out of jail, he did stop giving seminars, but he kept giving motivational speeches, and he did eventually just give all of it up and stop working. His trial began about a year later in March of 2011. The prosecution's case was that James intentionally put Kirby, Liz, and James Shore in life-threatening conditions, and that James was responsible for their deaths and deserved to go to prison for them. They argued that James, quote, conditioned the victims to put aside their inhibitions and trust him as a way of reaching enlightenment, end quote. During the trial, James was compared to a cult leader, which I can see how they would draw those (laughs) comparisons there. Yeah. But when it came to his defense, 
His attorneys argued that he wasn't responsible and that these deaths were merely an accident. The defense also pointed out that all of the participants who went into the sweat lodge had free will and that they had even signed waivers acknowledging that death was a risk they were taking by participating and that everybody who went into the sweat lodge did so voluntarily. They said that the victims were adults who were free to make their own decisions and that James did not have any power over them. So I can see how that would be an, a defense argument. It yeah. kind of seems like the most logical one to go with because on one hand, that is true. But I feel like coercing people to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do, like that actually is putting them in physical harm. At some point, you can't really say like that it was their fault, like it was the victim's fault for doing it. Like they wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for... James saying that this was safe and that this was going to be a good thing for them. In an interesting twist, the defense alleged that the state had actually botched the investigation and that there could have been toxic substances outside that could have contributed to the deaths. They suggested rat poison or something similar. The defense claimed that the death certificates of the victims listed poisoning, not heat stroke, as the cause of death. However, testing was never performed on the victims who passed away, so no one knows whether or not they were poisoned. But if they were, it could have come from the toxins given off by the tarps or the wood used to heat the stones. The jury deliberated for around 12 hours before finding James guilty of three counts of negligent homicide. On November 18, 2011, he was sentenced to two years for each count, and those sentences would be served concurrently, which means at the same time. So he just had two years of total jail time. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. just so wild to me that... The judge let him serve like I oh my gosh I feel like two years per life is not even I just don't feel like it's enough but then to say like then for the judge to say oh you can just serve two years and we'll count it for all of them that's just crazy to me yeah I don't understand that one at all like yeah like you're saying two years is very little at all but to say sure let's just bundle them all up and give you a discount that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but I think for that, like the most he could have gotten for negligent homicide, I think was 10 years. So it was still very on the low side, comparatively speaking to what he could have gotten, even if they did it concurrently, 10 years concurrently would have been way more than this. James was released from prison on July 12th, 2013. Once he was out, he went right back to his self-help career, which obviously angered a lot of his former followers. His first interview out of prison was on Pierce Morgan Live. In 2016, CNN released a documentary about James's story called Enlighten Us, and that's what Mandy and I both watched before we talked about this story. In 2018, James released another book entitled The Business of Redemption, colon, of course, The Price of Leadership in Life and Business. The synopsis says, quote, in the business of redemption, James Arthur Ray brings his nearly 20 years of experience in business, entrepreneurship, meteoric rises, and epic fails to suggest that leadership is about paying the price. Oh my gosh. I did hear him in the documentary though say something like people were like looking for, you know, something I could do blah blah blah, but you have to have a comeback. That was like a word he used, like they need to see a comeback or something. I'm like, no, you could Yeah. You could have not done anything. It would have been fun. Could just I gone know. Down life. But like in the synopsis of the book to even say like this like I don't know. Something just rubbed me the wrong way about saying epic fails because I'm like, what you're talking about people who lost their lives. It's more than an epic fail, but it's also that. But then to make a write a new book and say, like, this was my experience and now I've but now you should listen to me because I've learned after this. Like it just does. It just rubs me the wrong way completely that he would try to make another motivational book after this experience and not just get out of jail and just disappear into you know, into the world and go yeah. find another another career, you know, that's not affecting other people's lives. Like, it just blows me away. But I mean, I guess that's just what he knew, you know, to go back to. But I didn't actually look up whether or not that book was a success. I'm assuming that it probably was not as successful as the previous books. Yeah. But yeah, I just think it's crazy that he wrote another book after after this experience. Yeah. I'm a big believer in redemption. I just feel like in this case, if if it's about redemption, that maybe he would write it and donate the money to the victim's families or something like that, where it's you're not making a penny off of, you know, people wanting to hear this story because of what what had happened before. Do you know what I mean? Like if right. you're truly remorseful and sorry and this was some giant accident or whatever, then 
it is a very strange thing to me to go right back into it. I get what you're saying, though. It's what he knew and what he was good at. I mean, he was really good at it, but it doesn't mean success in that way doesn't necessarily translate after right. after this has happened. I know. Well, I feel like you do have to be careful because obviously not all motivational speakers are created equal. Right. And so there are some who are genuine in their goal to actually help other people. And they aren't out, you know, they're not out there making people do these break the rock with your fist thing. I mean, I get it. Like you said, like it's like mind over matter kind of thing, but it's also totally unnecessary for like, for the purpose of getting people hyped up about their lives. Like, I just don't think any of it's necessary. Like you don't have to get into a sweat lodge with dangerous temperatures to have some kind of mental awakening about like the state of your life. Like it's just not necessary. So of course, all motivational speakers are not promoting this kind of thing. So that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that motivational speakers are terrible and you know, that you shouldn't listen to them or anything, but Definitely be careful, I feel like, with this kind of thing. But I feel like that with anything, you know, if you're going to trust somebody and if somebody is really just like charging a lot of money for this stuff, like you have to start questioning what their true motivations are and whether or not they actually have your best interests at heart. And I feel like for some people, it may be easier to spot. And for others, you know, it might not be so easy to tell right away, especially people who are coming to these seminars out of almost a place of they're looking for hope. And so that's why they go to them in the first place. And so I do kind of feel like in a way that the fraudulent side of motivational speaking and those kind of things, like I do almost feel like it preys on people whenever they're in a bad place in life. And so that's like the main issue that I take with this case with James Arthur Ray. And it's like, these people are going to him because they feel low and they want to, they think that he has some information that is actually going to help them. And, you know, and then here he is like, well, give me $10,000 or give me this. I mean, like Liz, you know, Liz Newman, she gave over a hundred thousand dollars total to James and his whole empire. That's not cool with me for, you know, for him to take people's money like on that level. And it's like, it just, I just don't like it. I don't like him. And I just, (laughs) that's just how it is. Well, um, (laughs) I know in the documentary, like you were saying, there was this one guy who meets him and uh, this is after everything has happened and says, you know, I I was having a rough time and then my wife said she wanted to leave me and then I lost my job and now I'm here and I want to do your sim or whatever. I'm like, whoa, 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 back up, buddy, back up, back up, back up. Let's let's put some money in savings. <laughs> let's right. read a book or something. <laughs> but, you know, it's like they think that's the only way. And I feel like a responsible person would say, hey, you know, maybe we can find you a financial counselor. Maybe there's something else but please don't spend your money on this right now this is you're very motivated but you don't you know what I mean like it's people's decisions what they want to do with their money but it is one of those where you're just like oh gosh please no 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 that I I don't do this at all p.s if you want a natural high and you don't want to punch through a, a thing of wooden blocks I got a Rubik's cube, a two by two Rubik's cube, and I watched a YouTube video and I figured it out. And that is the most natural high I think you can ever have. Is oh my gosh! <laughs> but I watched the uh, YouTube documentary, The Speed Cubers, and if you haven't seen it, it's so good and it made me cry. And it's awesome. There's like two cubers that meet each other, and one guy has on the autism spectrum disorder, and the other guy's from Australia, and they become friends and they compete with each other. It's so 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 good. I'm Aww. never going to be good with it. But anyway, it was, it was a, <laughs> it was a, um, that's kind of a fun thing to do, but I don't know where I was going with that. You don't have to punch something. Do something lame like me. Get a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> hey, if it works, I mean, it's a lot it cheaper. Didn't. It was like two it's seconds. It's a lot cheaper than a seminar. It took me like an hour of watching a YouTube video, the world's simplest two by two. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. So anyway, <laughs> I think even the Rubik's Cube just gave up and was like, fine, I'll just, I'll change the colors. <laughs> And this is the part of the show where we would normally have a last thing before we go. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of a recording snafu and some of the audio got messed up in this and you can't recreate last thing before we go. It just doesn't work that way. So we leave you without a last thing before we go this week, but we will be back next week with one. And if you put on your vision board, the moms don't do last thing before we go on your secret vision board, then guess what? You just the secreted. It, it actually happened. Congratulations. And we are going to go right back to the show already in progress. And in the words of Wayne's World, before we go, though, we are going to be playing the promo for our friend Laura from The Fall Line. She has a new show coming out and it's called One Strange Thing. And OK, so it is like one of those. It's not 
not creepy stuff, but, you know, like bizarre things you can't explain, like in the news and, you know, those like murder houses, not murder houses. I'm like, so blood excited is coming. about this. I know. <laughs> it will be something I can only listen to during daylight hours, but she's such a good storyteller. I'm super pumped to listen to it. But make sure you guys stick around to check out the promo for that. She's just awesome. And this show is going to be great. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. We all enjoy a little mystery. And on the new podcast, One Strange Thing, that's just what you'll get. Every other week, One Strange Thing presents forgotten stories from America's news archives. They all have something in common, a single element that can't quite be explained. I'm Laura Norton. Join me on One Strange Thing, and you'll hear about bizarre events that unfolded in our country's local newspapers, but never made it much further than that. No matter the place or the people, One Strange Thing brings you stories that are very real and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.